This is the Life Church Podcast. For more messages, to watch our live stream, or to find other events, go to lifechurchnow.org. Hey guys, uh, thank you once again for joining us for a yet another online service. And I, I want to ask you to please continue to pray for the leaders of our country as we're navigating this whole pandemic. And I'm also uh, asking for you to pray for us here, leaders at Life Church. In the next several weeks, we're going to have to be making decisions about what church life is going to look like moving forward. And so you praying for us is going to be is very helpful. We need wisdom. We need guidance. We need, we need to make decisions. And we need to know that the decisions we're making are decisions that that are right decisions for our community, but also decisions that the Lord would want us to make. So I appreciate your prayers. Also, I want to expressly thank many of you that have remained faithful these last several months in giving. I mean, you, your generosity, your giving for the last couple of months have been incredible for us. We've been able to continue to do the things we do as a church. We're able to do what we're doing right now, come online and and bring a message because you are faithful in your giving. Um, Kingdom builders, we've been able to, 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 to continue to reach out to missionaries all around the world because of your generosity and your giving. You have been above and beyond. So I just want to thank you so much for that. You've enabled us to not only... Uh, do the things that we do as a church, but you've enabled us also to uh, to be a blessing to people in our community that are suffering right now through benevolence. I mean, your generosity is incredible. Thank you so much for that. In fact, I'm reminded of what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, uh, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. In other words, as Pastors as leaders, Paul was speaking to Timothy, who was the pastor of the church in Ephesus, to teach people not to, let's go back to that previous verse, to to not trust their riches, to not be proud because they have wealth, that instead they need to trust God. He goes on, their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. In other words, God doesn't want you to not have stuff. He's willing to give you stuff. He gives it for our enjoyment, right? Tell them to use their money to do good. And when I read this verse, let's go to the next part. When I read this verse, I think this is exactly what, I mean, Paul must have been thinking about life, church. Uh, You know, that we're using our wealth to do good. He says, they should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. I mean, this is exactly what you have been doing for the last several months. And I just want to thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for for your generosity and for your giving. there's going to be in the link there, you'll be able to connect and be able to give to Life Church. Go to lifechurchnow.org forward slash give, and you'll be able to give to Life Church and encourage you to continue to do that. All right, so we've been in this series, uh, Words That Can Change Your Life, and we've discussed a lot of different words. We've discussed the word no, talking about boundaries. We've discussed the word yes, where we were talking about the promises of God are yes and amen for us. We talked about the word sorry, which is, was a very difficult one, but it was talking about relationships being successful. And the way a relationship is successful is by learning to give and receive forgiveness well. And we talked about that last week. We talked about the, the idea of thanks and that is that gratitude is a mindset. Today, we're going to look at another word. It's the word help. Help. I've lived 56 years on this earth. And I wouldn't be where I'm at right now without the help of many other people in my life. In fact, a couple years ago, I was, uh, I was feeling really grateful. I mean, I was kind of one of those moments, those introspective moments where I'm kind of looking at my life and I'm saying, God, thank you so much for where I am, for what you've done and how you've blessed my life, how you've blessed my family, how you've blessed our church. And I began to think about that and I realized that there was a lot of people that have contributed to that in my life. 
Along the way, I was just thankful for so many people that I that I'd made it into a spiritual exercise. I actually went onto my phone and I began to write down a list of all the people, and I'm, I'm sure I missed some, but I wrote a list of all these people who have contributed to, in my life. And I'd just like to read this list to you a little bit. It's kind of a long list, but it starts with my mom, Irene Villalta. Just want you to know there's a story for every single one of these individuals. Leota Slape, who brought me to church on a, on a day when I really wanted to go out and smoke weed instead, she picked me up to go to church. That's Leota Slape. Durwood Dubo was my first pastor. Like I said, there's all kinds of stories about all these different people. Gerald Henniger, Lynette Henniger, Kim Kelly, my first youth pastor, Aaron Barnes, my first guy who taught me how to drive, my friend who taught me how to drive, Rusty Dubos, Brady Durling, Naomi Deal, Ruben Sequera, an amazing man of God, professor of mine, Ray Trask, Charles Greenaway, Mark Bentain, Larry Richmond, Dave Olson, Jose Renteria, Christy Green, my wife, Jerry and Ann Rachel, my, my in-laws, Susie Armstrong, my sister-in-law, Cecil Janaway, my very first superintendent when I got my credentials in the assemblies, Rodney Tilly, Ruth Bailey, Frank Stewart, Bob and Lisa Holloway, missionary friends of mine who are serving in Ecuador, Michael Staples, Bob McGurdy, you know, many of you know Bob McGurdy's missionary colleague, Mark Good, Asa Kane, superintendent of the assemblies of God in Bangladesh, Celo Schmidt, Samuel Kobir, Holly Greeson, Teresa Chai, uh, Randa Matthias, a good friend of mine who's no longer with us anymore. Richard Winter, Mark Trujillo, Richard Airwood, Glenn, Glenn Reynolds, Patrick Kelly, Aaron Colossic, Gary and Sharon Colossic, Chris Carey. And this list can go on and on and on of people who have helped me along the way. I'm so thankful for all of these people in my life. So here's a question. Who's helping you? Who's helping you, Right? Who's advising you? Who's helping you become a better person? And if you hear me ask that question and you say to yourself, maybe a little bit of arrogance, a little pride rises up and say, nobody, I don't need help. I'm on my own. I can do this on my own. Too often, that's what we think. Here's what I'm going to say to you. You are, you, are, are, you are shortchanging yourself. You will not reach the potential in your life without the help of other people. In fact, this would be me this would be me without the help of other people. This list I just read to you. Look at this guy. Doesn't he need help? That's what I would be like if I didn't have all of these other people in my life. Here's the problem. Not all of us know that we need help. Too many of us walk through life thinking that I can do this on my own. King Solomon, one of the characters in the Bible, was considered the wisest man alive. In ancient days, for sure. He, he was a son of King David. He was about to become king. He had position, power, wealth. He had all of these things. And this is what he has to say about this subject of help. Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 through 10. He says, two are better than one. <clears throat> now we hear this and we're like, yeah, of course two are better than one, right? Two dollars in my pocket is better than one dollar in my pocket, right? Right? Two cars are better than one car. We could think all those kinds of things. Two wives, no, maybe two wives are not better than one wife. But anyways, two are better than one, right? If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the person who falls and has no one to help him up. This is Solomon's idea. That no matter how strong you are, no matter how smart you are, no matter how good you are, there will be times that you need help. Solomon says, pity the person who falls. Every single one of us 
Every single one of us are going to fall at some point. And I know that you might think that, no, not me, I don't have to. I'm, I'm smart enough, but every single one of us are going to have experience a failure in our life. Maybe your career is on track, everything's going well, but you get passed over, you get let go. Or your health is good, you've been, you've been good, everything's good, but then that blood work comes back and they find something. And that changes the trajectory of your life. Now you're headed down this long, hard road. Or your family seems good, but suddenly your son starts to overdrink. Or your daughter brings home a guy with shady character. Or you're a parent, and right now, right now, my heart is heavy for you because right now your son or your daughter, they're struggling. There's trouble going on. You've tried everything. You've exhausted everything you could possibly do. You've gone through every single emotion trying to fix the problem, and you just can't seem to fix it. And maybe what you haven't really tried is just simply that single word, help. I need help. Solomon says, pity the person who falls and has no one to help him. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to explore two questions today is, who's helping you? And the second question, who are you helping? Because in this world, we're called to help other people. We're not here. We're, we're called to, as followers of Jesus Christ, to give our lives away for others. So the question is, who are, who's helping you? Then who are you helping? The same guy that wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, also wrote a big chunk of, the, of Proverbs. It's chock full of amazing wisdom. Here, here's what it says. Here's one of Solomon's Proverbs, Proverbs 15:22. He says, things go wrong for lack of advice. Things go wrong for lack of advice, but many advisors bring success. How many of you know that is so true? That things can go wrong when you don't seek out advice, when you don't look for people to come in and speak into your life. I mean, why do we need advice? Well, because there's people who have more experience, more wisdom than we do. They have gone down this road before me. They know I need those people in my life, people who have, who have already walked the path that I'm about to walk and be able to say, hey, Take this, current, take, take, take this turn this way. Be careful at that intersection. Be careful with that pothole. That's what we need. We need people, many advisors in our lives. And it's all, oftentimes when we don't seek out advice, it's the difference between, between success and disaster. And I can guarantee you that in almost every area of your life, there is somebody that's ahead of you. There's somebody who knows more about it than you do. Whether it's your marriage, whether it's your finances, whether it's your parenting, whether it's your work, whether it's your health, there's somebody that's doing it better than you and better than me. And they can help us become better in our lives. So who's ahead of you? Who's ahead of you? Who, who's helping you? Who could you gain advice from that's doing it better than you? Who is that person? Who's ahead of you in your marriage? Like you see a couple out there and you think, man, some of us do this. You see somebody and say, man, I wish my marriage was like that. Maybe what you need to do is just go to them and say, hey, can I, can I get some advice from you? Ask them out for coffee, right? Solomon says many advisors, many advisors bring success. A couple, couple of thoughts about advisors is that, first of all, you need to make sure that, that they're competent, okay? Make sure that they're competent, <laughs> I remember in 1984, 85, I had a friend, uh, Ken Trosclair, who, who, um, who came to me and said, hey, man, um, I, uh, you know, we got this opportunity to invest in this company, uh, you know, $5,000, you can do it, you should do it, you know, and it was a company I never heard of, it was called Walmart, <laughs> and I didn't know anything about Walmart, and so I needed advice, so I, guess who I went to? I went to my roommate. Now, make sure your advisors are competent. 
Because when I went to my roommate, I said, hey, what do you think about Ken's proposal? $5,000, buy, buy some stock in this company. This was my, my roommate's advice. He said, dude, the stock market is of the devil. Don't do that. So I didn't. Christy's still mad at me. <laughs> so make sure that, you know, advisors are competent. Secondly, make sure that, that, that you don't wait to seek out advice. Don't wait till your, your situation is completely tanked before you ask for help. That happens too often. Too many times couples come to me, they want, they want, they want to talk about their marriage. I get an email or I get a phone call and say, hey, things are real, we're really struggling right now. Can we talk to you about our marriage? And they come in, they sit in my, in my office, they sit on the couch, and we begin to have a conversation. And it isn't very long in that conversation that I realize, man, I wish, I, I don't say this out loud, but in my head, I think, I wish you had been sitting on that couch five months, five years ago. I wish that we could have had this conversation five years ago before you were to the edge of that cliff. Now, I've seen God do some amazing rescues of marriages. I mean, his grace has been sufficient in a lot of people's lives when it comes to their marriage. But my advice is, don't wait. Don't wait till you're falling off the cliff to start crying out for help. As you feel yourself approaching the cliff, that's when you say, God, I need help. Friends, I need help. We have great marriages in this church. People who have been married for 30, 40, 50 years. And yes, they've had their ups and downs. Yes, they've had their troubles. But they've come through those troubles with, with love and care for each other. And I guarantee you, if you went to them and you asked them, they would say, yeah, I'll help you. Don't wait. Another thought about advisors is that we need to get many advisors Listen, there are people who come for, for me for advice, and I can give them advice. In fact, oftentimes I do give advice, you know, and I can, but here's what you need to understand about my advice. My advice comes from my ex experiences, from my perspective in life. It comes with my biases as well. And they might ask for wisdom. I might give you some wisdom, but you need to understand something, that Rich Green, when it comes to advice, has some blind spots. And if all you do is trust my advice, then you're not doing enough. You need many advisors. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that I have many. I have a board of five very wise, competent people. I have a staff that when Rich Green comes up with a real harebrained idea, they're really quick to say, hey, Rich, uh, that may not work. You may not, you probably shouldn't do that. Many advisors, many advisors bring success. Now, <clears throat> when it comes to getting help, and who's helping you, um, sometimes it's not just advice that we need, right? Sometimes what we need is just somebody to be present, somebody to be there. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I get discouraged a lot sometimes. My courage, discouragement means my courage leaks. My courage goes away sometimes, and I need somebody to come along and encourage me to fill my courage tank back up. And sometimes that doesn't come in the form of advice. Sometimes it's just that person being there. In the book of Job, um, you know the story of Job. Job was this upright man of God, God's favorite in many ways. But then he was tested and he lost everything. He lost his family. He lost his kids. He lost his possessions. He lost his health. He lost everything. Job had three friends that came to him. And, and check out what these friends do. In Job chapter 2, verse 12, he says, when they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. Job was, 
was, he wasn't eating. He was, he was in mourning. He was in, terrible, in a terrible place. They could hardly recognize him. Where am I? Yeah. They began to weep aloud and tore their robes. So these friends, they see Job at a distance, and they're, and they're so upset about his condition. Go, let's go on. It says, <coughs> they sat on the ground with him. I love this. So they see him at a distance. They come to where he's at, and it says they sat on the ground with him. They were present. Sometimes our help comes when people are just with us. They sat on the ground with him for seven days and nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. I love this about his friends. They sat with him. They didn't say anything. They didn't offer him. Later on, they start giving advice, but initially they didn't give advice. They didn't, you know, try to tell him what to do, what not to do. They just sat with him. Have you ever done that? Have you ever been with a, a friend who's struggling and sat with, with that person for seven days? I've never done that. I mean, this, this, what, imagine the sacrifice behind that. What, what kind of love does it take? I mean, love is costly. Love is sacrificial. That's exactly what these people did, what these friends did. I have a few friends like that in my life. One of those friends is a lady by the name of Sharon Kolosik. Now, Sharon Kolosik, some of you know who Sharon Kolosik is. Her husband is Gary, who's one of our board members here at Life Church. Um, and this couple, they have developed, they've developed a very unique compassion and love for family. And it was born out of tragedy for them. Over 20 years ago, they lost their second son in a terrible car accident. And it's built inside of them this, this amazing, amazing compassion that they have for others who are grieving through loss and tragedy. In fact, they, they, uh, they lead a, a ministry, an organization called Compassionate Friends out of, out of North English. Um, 13 years ago, we were in a place, my, our family, um, one of our sons had been, had, had you know, experienced some, really tr- some real trouble in his life. And to be honest with you, I, what he was going through, I was really struggling with. I was blaming myself. I felt like a total failure. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to fix the problem. I was just struggling. And I wanted things to get better, but it was just, it was difficult. Here's the other problem. 13 years ago, we were just a, a fledgling church plant. I mean, we were, we, we were just trying to make things, and, and, and this church needed my positive energy. They didn't need a pastor who was all depressed and down. And, and so it was very, very, I was emotionally exhausted. I needed someone to talk to, but that is very difficult when you're supposed to be this leader leading this church, and, and I, I, I was struggling with that. And so when this thing happened, I, I called Sharon, and I remember that day very clearly. In fact, I'm moved by it now. Um, I remember that day very clearly. I, was, I walked out into my driveway, and I, I was crying. To, crying I, was, I was actually crying, and I had my cell phone in my hand, and I, and I called Sharon. I didn't know who else to call, but I called Sharon. And I began to explain to her what was going on, and I just told her how tired I was, and, and I was just bawling over the phone. And she listened. She didn't judge me. She didn't condemn me. She didn't offer unsolicited advice. She simply listened and loved on me, made her presence known. She was present. She was there. Sometimes in help, that's what we need. Ecclesiastes says two are better than one. If one falls, 
one falls down, his friend can help him up. And that's what Sharon did that day. She was a friend that came alongside me and helped me when I fell. So who's helping you? Second question I want to ask is, who are you helping? Who's depending on you right now? Who's depending on you to pull them along? Who, who is depending on you to set an example of what it means to follow Christ? To set an example of godly character? To set an example of being a, a loving spouse or a loving parent? Who's depending on you right now to, to be that person to help them? In Proverbs 27, 17, it says, As iron sharpens iron, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Now, here's the deal. <clears throat> to sharpen someone else, you have to be sharp yourself. To be strong for someone else, you have to be strong yourself. You have to be prepared. You have to be someone who's able to, to give something to that other person. And that requires preparation. There's a young man by the name of um, Wells Crowther. He was 24 years old. I have an image of him. This is him graduating from Boston College. Um, not exactly sure what year it was. He's 24 years old. He was, you, I'm sure none of you know who he is. He's born in New York City. Um, on September 11, 2001, he was working on the 104th floor of the South Tower of the World Trade Center when the first plane hit. And when that plane hit, just pandemonium broke out. Chaos broke out. On his floor, there was conflicting um, instructions. Some people were saying, stay where you're at. People will come to get you. Others were saying, hurry up and get on the elevator. Go downstairs. Others were saying, do not get on the elevator. There was all kinds of conflicting instructions about what to do. And it was at that moment that Wells Carla just jumped into action. He helped dozens and dozens of people, told them this time. He put, he, he put on this red bandana to, to protect him from the smoke that was filling up the room and the staircase. And then he took dozens and dozens of people, 100 floor stories, down to safety. Once he exited the building with these, with these people that he had rescued, he had brought down, he then joined a fire department team and went back up into the building to, to rescue other survivors, other people. At 9.12 that morning, he called his mother and he left her a voicemail and said, Mom, this is Wells. I want you to know that I'm okay. That was the last time they ever heard from him. In March of 2002, seven months after 9-11 happened, they found his body. Nobody knew of his heroism. Nobody knew anything about him at all. They didn't know what had happened to him. They just thought that he died as one of the casualties of this, of this very terrible thing that happened. Until five years later, an article came out in New York Times. And there was a survivor in this article talking about how she escaped the building, how she escaped the World Trade Center. And she said, there was this tall young man that had a red bandana on. And he helped our entire floor get to safety. It was at that moment they, they knew that was Wells. That red bandana went with him everywhere. Since the age of 16, he has carried this red bandana. He played football underneath his jersey. He had the red bandana. He joined a volunteer fire department at the age of 16. He was taught to have a caring attitude, a helping attitude. So this thing that happened on September 11, 2001 was not a fluke. He stepped into action. He was prepared to save lives. Since the age of 16, he had been preparing himself. So here's my question. 
What are you doing to prepare yourself to help others? Because it's easy for us to talk about helping other people, but if you're not preparing yourself to help other people, it's, it's what happens. You never know when this is going to happen, how it's going to happen. You need to prepare yourself. What are you doing to prepare yourself to help others, to sharpen your skills as a parent, as a leader, to prepare yourself for the moment or moments in life when somebody else is going to need your help? What are you doing? Are you living your life in such a way that you're prepared to help others? Are you preparing yourself in God's word, for example? I love what, what Paul tells us in 2 Timothy. He says, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching. All God-breathed basically means inspired. In other words, God is the originator of it, right? He says, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, correcting, and training in righteousness. In other words, all scripture, God's word, is useful for us for teaching, for correcting, for training in righteousness, meaning for helping us live a, a righteous life. So we know this. This is a foundational statement here, that God's word is good for us to know how to live a righteous life, to know how to, to correct other people, to understand teaching. And then, but notice what it says after this. So that, in other words, it's good for all those things, so that what? The person of God may be thoroughly equipped so you are prepared. Another translation is so that you're prepared for every good work. We need God's word in our lives to prepare us for every good work to help other people. See, the Bible is here to equip us. It's useful for all kinds of things. So are you reading it? Are you studying it? Are you getting into every single day of your life and getting yourself ready to help other people? Are you training yourself in biblical truth so when your son or your daughter comes and they need help, you are ready are you ready? Are you training yourself as a parent with God's word? Just today, I, 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 I was a, a missionary that we support in Turkey, reached out to us, said, hey, we, we have young kids, and we, just, we, we know that you've taught classes about you know, raising kids. What, what, can you, what can you do? And we, I just uploaded uh, 12 videos for them to watch. They're preparing themselves. They're training themselves to help others. Do you seek advice when your marriage is beginning a little, getting a, you know, begins to get a little wobbly? Are you preparing yourself in your marriage? Are you training and preparing yourself so, what, so when those moments come, you are prepared to help somebody else, to throw them a lifeline and to potentially save their life? That's what Wells did. He was prepared. He didn't know at 16 when he joined the, the, fire, the volunteer fire department, he didn't know that he was going to have to, that he was going to have to, rescue people on the 104th floor of the World Trade Center and eventually lose his life doing it. He didn't know that, but he prepared himself for that. And I'm asking you the question, are you preparing yourself? By the way, there's some of you that come from all kinds of different backgrounds. Some of you come from a, a background of addiction and you, 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 you struggle, but now you've been rescued from somebody came alongside and helped you and now you, you're, you've overcome that. You're, you, you've recovered. You're thriving in your life. Guess what? My advice to you is use your background to help somebody else. God brought you through all of that so you could be prepared to help somebody else. Maybe you've come through a very nasty divorce and now you're healthy, you've recovered from that. Use your background to help somebody right now who may be going through a divorce and needs, needs advice, needs counsel, needs somebody to come alongside them and help them. You can help them through that. <clears throat> Listen, if someone came to your rescue and helped you, 
then shouldn't you also help somebody else? Here's one final word I, I just want to bring to us, and that's, that's true that we need, we need to know who's helping us. It's true that we also need to help other people, but sometimes the help that we need comes only from the Lord. It says here in Psalm 121, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. In other words, God is my source. God is my help. Some of you are trying to do life on your own. You're trying to do it all by yourself without God's consistent and loving help. He waits every morning for you to get up in the morning and say, God, I want to trust you with my life. I'm going to trust you with my day. I'm going to trust you with, with the guidance throughout this day. God, I need your help. He's waiting for us to do that. He wants to help us. But too, too many of us, we just blow right past that. We get up in the morning and we do life on our own until we get to this place where we desperately need God's help. See, God is our source of help every single day. Some of you, some of you are facing some impossible situations. But you need to understand something. It's not impossible for God. God is our help. So often when I'm facing these difficult circumstances in my life, I find myself trying to fix it on my own. I find myself exhausting my energies on my own. I find myself trying to use my human wisdom on fixing all these problems. And really what happens is I just come to this place where finally I just say, God, just help me. I, I do that every morning, actually. Every morning I get up, I get in the shower. We have this little scripture stuff in our shower, and I start reading it. And every morning I'm like, God, help me today. Help me through our staff meeting. God, help me with that difficult conversation I'm going to have. God, help me to, to preach this sermon right now that I'm preaching to you. God, help me. <clears throat> God, help me. So, where do you need help? Where do you need help? What is the area of your life that you, as I'm talking about help, we talked about, you know, we need help from others. We need, we need God to help us, but also we need to help other people. But as I'm talking about this, I'm sure that it surfaces these ideas, these notions. Gosh, I need help right now. Maybe, maybe your prayer is, Lord, help me with my kids. Help me with my marriage. Help me with my loneliness. Help me with my jealousy over other people's kids or over other people's jobs or over other people's, you know, success or their appearance. God, help me be content. Help me with my fear, my anxiety, my anger. That's my question to you. Where do you need help? I'm going to pray for you right now. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask, as I'm praying, I'm going to ask you to fill in a blank. As I'm talking about God, we need your help. That's an easy prayer, isn't it? God, we need your help. Where is it that you need God's help? God, help me with blank. Where do you need help? And just whisper that to God. Say, God, you are my source. You are my help. Let me pray for you right now. <clears throat> Father, I just want to thank you that you are our source. I thank you, Father, for all of the people in our lives throughout our lives who have come alongside us, who have helped us, who have brought us to the place where we are right now. We couldn't have done it without them. We thank you, Father, that you've helped us through people. We thank you, Father, that you're also preparing us along the way to help others. There are some, Father, who are listening right now that have overcome addictions. They've, they've overcome incredible challenges in their life, and God, you have prepared them to help other people. God, will you help them to continue to prepare themselves to help others. There are some of us right now listening, Father, that we are in desperate, desperate situations. 
And we need help. We need help. And so like, like uh, Solomon says in Proverbs, Father, you're our help. We're not, we can't do this alone. We need you, God. So, Father, will you help us? Help us with our marriage. Help us with our kids. Help us in our financial situation, God. Help us with, our, with the relationships with my in-laws or help me with my relationship with my parents or my sister, my brother. God, I need your help right now. I'm asking, Father, that you'll step in to every home that's listening, every person that's listening right now, God, that you will be their source of help, that they will cry out to you, that they'll put down the pride of trying to do this on their own and recognize that, God, you are our source. You are our help. In Jesus' name. 